Netflix wasn't interested. CNBC was interested, but they wanted it from more of like a business perspective. And if I'm honest, like I'm no, you know, Shark Tank. Like I, I love all that stuff, but I'm still so young. So I'm like, I don't know how great I'd be on talking through all the business side of everything. But uh, then uh, they pitched it to another big network that actually picked it up. And then they funded $200,000 to make this first pilot episode, you know? So it's, um, yeah, that was a really cool opportunity. And it's still, uh, they just finished editing the pilot episode, uh, the first revision. And so hopefully in a few months, it'll be out. Hello and welcome to Lewis Kyle Show, an interview podcast that my friend Lewis and I started in the middle of the pandemic and have been running ever since. We interview entrepreneurs, investors, and people living high leverage, unconventional lives, in different industries like crypto, real estate, internet content creation, and everything in between. Today was a very fun episode, but to be fair, I think I have fun just about every episode with Tony Lopez or Anthony Lopez, depending on which internet website you're trying to learn more about him on. He is CEO slash founder of a company called Alternative Living Spaces, which is a container homes construction company based in Las Vegas, Nevada. They do custom builds. They do a couple know, pre-configured models. You could put a container home on wheels. So it's an RV. You could do a 20 foot, a 30 foot, a 40 foot. You could do not a home. You could do a gym instead. You could do a pool. You could do a little yoga studio or a little backyard office. And in this episode, he also gets into some of the additional product lines that are not container home based. They have plans to launch and release in the future. Tony, before he was into container homes, worked like three jobs at once and used literally all the money he had uh, to buy his first container to start this business. It's a fascinating story. I really enjoyed talking with Tony, and I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. So I'm just going to switch over to it now. Enjoy. Tony, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. We're excited to have this opportunity to chat with you again, hear uh, more about container homes, and get into your story. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Yeah, great to be on you guys. Thank you. Yeah, so let's start just kind of with your background, your story, when you first discovered container homes, how you got to start building container homes. Just walk us uh, kind of from the beginning there. Yeah, so uh, I was at a time in my life where I just really was interested in starting a business. Um, I was always really passionate about architecture and business and was just running through a lot of different ideas. So I'm sure people can relate um, that kind of have that bug. You want to create something for yourself. And so I was on my phone, you know, I had my notepad on my phone where I would just any kind of new idea that I'd come up with, I'd be putting it in there. And one day I went to go visit my parents and uh, I looked in, in their backyard and my dad had built my sister a tree house. And I remember just asking him like, hey, dad, how much did it cost you to build that tree house? And he had told me it cost him $1,000. And when I had seen it, I actually thought to myself like, man, I can live in that thing. Like it had a, a, a sliding glass door, a nice window, some electrical. Um, I mean, it looked, looked nice. And at the time I was spending, you know, over $1,000 a month on rent. And just felt like, man, this just doesn't add up. Like, man, I can't believe you got to spend so much money for rent every single month, you know, or you or you own a spot, which is great. Um, but you're still paying on it for 30 years when, I mean, my dad built something that, you know, I could pay off in one month. So it just got me thinking like, man, there just has to be a better way for housing. Um, you know, especially at the time I was a bachelor, I didn't need a lot of space. And so I would have been perfectly fine with a smaller home. Um, I was never really even at home, right? When you're younger, you're just hanging out with friends or you're at work. Um, and so I was barely ever even at home. And so just saw that as a problem that existed in today's world, you know, that, man, there isn't really affordable, smaller housing options. 
And with that, just got me thinking about what solutions could there be to that problem. And uh, that's when kind of the idea of smaller housing uh, kind of just dawned upon me. Like, oh man, it would be cool if there was smaller housing options, even like this tree house, but that had a kitchen, a bathroom, some of the essentials that you need. Um, and so that's, that's where it all kind of started. That was the seed of it. So then how do you get to the first container home? Yeah, good question. So the, you know, I was working for a delivery company at the time. I was working at a couple different jobs. And I remember doing a delivery to a warehouse here in town to a company. And inside their warehouse, they converted three shipping containers into offices. So they were basically office spaces in the backs of their warehouse. Uh, but they did a really good job. They were, they were like very high end, painted really fun colors. One was bright orange, one was bright blue, one was bright green. They had a rooftop deck with like a deck with like a bridge connecting up. It was just really, really cool. And I just thought, man, it'd be really cool to turn a container into a house. Um, and so a couple of days later, I hopped on my computer. I had the day off of work and I just started looking up shipping containers on Craigslist. And sure enough, I found a container on Craigslist at that time. Someone was building it out here in Las Vegas for a convention. It was going to be a restaurant. And so he had already done some of the beginning work for it, some of the cutouts and things like that, some electrical in it, even a little bit of flooring. And uh, yeah, it just kind of worked out really well. He was looking to get rid of it. Uh, and there's really a long, cool story to that. But long story short is I was able to get it for a really good price. And also able to get it to my parents' house. That's a room where I'd be able to work on it. And then you fixed it up and flipped it yourself and turned it into what was a living space, right? That's right. Yeah. So it was a really unique layout and it worked out to where there was uh, going to be space to be able to add a bathroom, add a kitchen space. And it definitely was interesting. It was only 160 square feet. So it was a little bit of a challenge. But like, man, how do you fit everything you would need in a home into 160 square feet? Um, but really did end up working out really well. And remind us what your architecture, carpentry, DIY kind of background was before this. Like, were you always doing hands-on projects, building stuff, or was this kind of like you just got captivated and then through the process of doing this is when you picked up everything? Yeah, good question. I mean, so I am definitely not a handy person. Like, even to this day with our company, um, I am a lot better in the office than in the builds. I'm definitely an idea guy. I'm always thinking of creative things and things like that. Um, but I think that lends its hand to like the architecture side of what I grew up being passionate about. Like I remember being in middle school and in high school and I'd have two pages in front of me. You know, I'd be in biology class and on one page I'd be taking my biology notes and the other page I'd be drawing houses because I just loved architecture, you know. And so all throughout high school, I took the architecture classes. My senior year, I think half my schedule was architecture. It was super easy. Um, and so that, that background of architecture definitely kind of goes in line with what we've been doing and even on that first home. Um, I think I lost my train of thought, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we were kind of just asking, so did you formally study architecture after high school? Uh, kind of what were some of the more complex things you had built, if any? before buying this yeah. somewhat finished container from a guy from Craigslist and making a functional space out of it. Yeah, so so after high school, I went to uh, college here in Nevada and did a year of architecture uh, and then a year and a half of business after that. And then I actually transitioned to study theology. And uh, prior to building the container tiny home, I built nothing construction related. 
Uh, I mean, I was working a job delivering some furniture where I'd have to assemble furniture. So, I mean, very minimal, you know, assembly required. And so uh, I totally was going into this without a construction background. You know, I, I didn't study it in college. I didn't work under someone an apprentice. And so my dad did, uh, you know, does own a construction company here in town, but it's landscape construction. But he's he's very hands-on kind of person. So he built our homes growing up and things like that. So he really was a little bit of a mentor through that process. So that first container, I definitely relied on him for his advice on how to do things. And uh, it's funny because I told him initially, like, hey, I think I'll have this thing done in three months. And he was like committed to that. So he helped me out a lot the first three months. But then after the first three months, it was just a lot of work. So he tapped out. He's like, hey, I'll be around for questions. Um, but this is your thing, right? So it took me another six months to finish it. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a DIY kind of project, that first one. What was the job you were working? So how do you, you go? Oh, real, mine was a quick question. And then go. You're good, Lewis. What was the job you, you were working for, when you were building yeah, yeah. part-time? Uh, just, or were you not working yeah, so, a full job at that same point? Yeah, during that time, I was working two jobs. Um, I was, maybe even three. I was working a lot during that season. So I think that's why it took me so long to finish building it. But I also just needed to work to get capital that I could pour into that first unit. So I was working a valet job part-time, three part-time jobs, basically uh, a job at my home church part-time, and then also um, a moving job part-time. So that helped, you know, and then I'd probably have one day a week where I had nothing going on. So that was kind of like the work on the container day. So how do you go from getting this first unit done and completed in, I guess, nine months to... Um, starting the company and then selling that first unit that you, I'm not sure if you um, sold that first unit that you built or if you um, built the first one as a company, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so that first unit um, definitely was kind of a DIY project. And I remember, you know, the intention was always for this to become a business. So the goal was let me create this first unit so that I can then sell it and then, you know, create some more from there. And I remember getting to the point where I was getting close to being done and was just trying to think, man, what would be some creative ways to, to market this and, and things like that. And uh, from Church World, had a lot of friends that were already really involved in video. So video production, editing, all that kind of stuff. And one of my buddies, uh, you know, I reached out to him and he was willing to come film it, edit it, and basically create a really cool video. And I had seen some different YouTube channels that did stuff on tiny homes. Uh, they would do like tiny home tours and sometimes those units would be for sale. So I reached out to one of the bigger channels. They probably had like maybe 400,000 subscribers at that point. And he just asked him like, hey, I just finished this tiny home um, looking to create a video on it and was it was interested in putting it on your channel. And he was all for it. And I just remember when he sent me the instructions for it, he's like, hey, you know, most people film it with their iPhone, just hold it horizontally and like kind of gave me some pointers. And uh and thankfully, I just had that relationship with my friend Omar. And so he basically, uh, you know, came with all the real gear, just did a really, really professional editing job on it. And so because of that, it allowed us to really stand out on YouTube. And so that video ended up kind of going viral, it hit like over 2 million views. Um, and what happened is the day before that video launched is the day I launched my website. So, I mean, this was definitely just off the cuff. So I made the website, the video launches the next day. 
all of a sudden we're, I'm getting tons of inquiries on container homes. Definitely don't have like infrastructure to manage stuff well, right? So I'm just playing catch up on leads and things like that. Um, but that's, that's the gist of how it started. And that first video, because it went viral, it ended up leading to a lot of publications and online articles that also drove a lot of traction to the website. Uh, and one specific article uh, just with a company called Curved, um, and they have a really large following. They did an article on top five container homes for, this was 2018, and uh, we were listed as the number one container home, um, the, the first unit. And so because of that, even today, I think if you search shipping container homes, that article I think might still rank number one. Um, and so that thing has just continually brought us a lot of traffic. So you mentioned briefly there the problem of not having infrastructure set up to to keep up with the demand from all those people. How do you go about, um, I guess, setting this business up to scale from, you know, doing it in your uh, driveway by yourself yeah. to having employees that are putting the stuff together and, and, you know, shipping them out? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say it's been a journey. I'd say probably early on, like most businesses, if you are the founder, you're also... 20 other roles, right? You're just wearing every hat because you can't afford to bring on a bookkeeper or an accountant or, uh, you know, people to fill all those different seats. And so um, I'd say, you know, especially year one, um, was able to find a few people to kind of like lock arms with. I ended up selling that first unit, which helped, you know, provide a good amount of funds because I did it all out of pocket, you know, bootstrap. So most of it was profit. Um, and so I used those funds to get a small warehouse. Uh, and we, I'd really gotten a lot of leads up to that point. And so was probably overly ambitious on how well I was going to do. Um, and so got the warehouse and was also thinking like, man, there are so many leads and so many, like, which sounded like really good inquiries that like, for sure, we're going to be so busy. Um, and, you know, I'd say overall we were busy, you know, at least busy enough. And so, um, you know, we ended up, I ended up closing my second sale kind of shortly after that's when I kind of got momentum to say, okay, I got some money. I'll bring on a couple of people to help me out so that I can kind of keep focusing on some of the sales and marketing. Um, and so I remember early on, I think I was a builder the first half of the day and then I'd work in the office second half of the day. And I probably did that for like six months. And then we landed like a pretty good sized deal it was for five containers for a, a tiny home community in, in, uh, in Zion, Utah. And at that point it was nice. I think that's when I got like transitioned to being in the office. And so after the first few builds, I was able to transition. And then, you know, it, it was just nice that the more we had work coming in, it really did provide us the capital to bring in the right people um, to start having that support. And I'd say even now we're five years in. And I, if I'm honest, like I'm just now feeling like, man, we have the right people in the right seats and I can kind of step away from being in the weeds of everything to start focusing more on, you know, you, you'll hear, hear the phrase of like, working on your business and not in your business. And so I feel like that's more of a reality now, which is nice. So this is a kind of detailed question. How are you managing cash flows? Were you making people pay a certain percentage of the price upfront? So you had some working capital or just what was the way you would like were selling things? Yeah, managing that's a great flow? question. Yeah, thankfully with our business model, I didn't need a line of credit at the time and I didn't need a ton of capital to fund the builds because the clients were able to pay up front for like a large portion of it. And so we were doing something, it would basically be like, you know, you provide a reservation deposit of say five grand just to hold your spot. 
But then when you're ready for us to actually begin production, it's 40% down. And that was really enough to fund all the materials that we had, as well as a lot of the labor, um, at least up until the halfway point, which we would then request another 40%. Um, and so it definitely was funded by the clients providing payment that allowed us to purchase materials. Yeah. Were those initial ones custom builds or did you present a floor plan that everyone just continued to order early on? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I would say we definitely early on were very like pro custom. So we were all about like, yeah, we can do anything you dream it, we'll build it, you know, and it had its pros and cons. It's really hard to get efficient when you're doing so many different models. And so our first model was a hit. So people usually wanted a model similar to that. There was features of that that they would want. But one thing we started to just notice early on, especially with container homes, is everyone kind of wants something a little bit different. And so everyone wants to get really creative. It's a small space. They want it to work best for them. They have seen, you know, a lot of stuff on Pinterest or on YouTube, and they may want to incorporate other kind of features from other builds. So early on, everything was super custom. Every build, we literally started from scratch. Um, and I think because of that, it took a lot more time to do each build. And it probably, um, you know, I think early on, I thought that was an okay thing. Um, but looking back, I'm like, I think if we would have found a way to standardize our models a little bit sooner, that really would have helped us going forward to not get kind of sucked into the weeds of trying to figure everything out on every single build. Has that, uh, that customer, <clears throat> excuse me, has that customer developed over time into more like investors, like you're saying, they, they bought five units and put it in the national park in Arizona. Has that sort of become more and more popular of a type of person that is buying from you? Or it, what? I guess what percentage of your business now is that custom um, piece versus the standardized model that you're trying to develop? Yeah, so what we've noticed recently, um, I, mean, I would say majority of our business is Airbnb investors. Um, but we've actually gotten a lot of people recently too that are just interested in doing backyard units. So early on, we just really offered tiny homes. Now we've kind of said like, oh, we can do backyard offices, backyard gyms, music studio. So like right now in production, we just shipped out an office. We're finishing up a music studio. We just shipped out a gym last week. So that side of the business has developed a little bit more, those product lines. Um, but when it comes to the tiny homes, most of those have been for Airbnb. It's been pretty rare to use them for a full-time living just because it's hard to find a good place to put them. Uh, you know, if you're more in the Midwest, I think there's more options and there's a lot of tiny home companies that I think are doing really well out there for people with full-time living. On the West Coast, you're kind of limited to like RV parks and things like that. And so depending on your city, there just isn't the best options. Uh, but Airbnb investors have been uh, our main clients for the tiny homes. How how have they been running their businesses and have they been pretty successful? And uh, have you gotten to hear some of the numbers that they've put off? Yeah, man. Buying your container. Yeah, I could say like every single one of them has done great. And, and it's not so much just credit to the container home. It really is credit to having the right property. Uh, that really is kind of a golden ticket. And I think when you marry the two, it's just a really good recipe for success, right? The containers are unique. They have the attraction factor. People want to stay in a tiny home. They want to, you know, have some different experience to showcase. Um, but I've noticed the biggest challenge is finding the right property uh, where you're in an area where there is a lot of demand for Airbnb and also very low regulation for Airbnb. So like I live in Vegas 
uh, plenty of demand, but super high regulation. And so it doesn't really make sense to try to do Airbnb in Vegas. Whereas like Zion, a lot of the smaller cities around it, you know, they probably get maybe over 5 million people a year that visit Zion. Um, and a lot of those cities, at least in the past, and even still a little bit today are a lot less regulated that they let you do a lot, you know, a lot more out there. Um, but yeah, even thinking about like some of our clients, like I think back to, uh, so the first client that bought it is living in it full time. They live in Sacramento, California. The, the next two units we sold were to the same guy in Zion for Airbnb rentals. And I just popped on Airbnb a couple of days ago. So my, my buddy wanted to stay in one, one of the units. And I was like, let me see how much they're going for. And um, man, they are doing incredible. Like they're booked out probably 95% of the month. They're averaging like at least 130 a night. Um, and so they've easily doubled their money by now and are probably bringing in 35K a year on their rental, you know, and they have two out there. So. And what was the rough cost that you, you know, sold it to them as a build? Like general ballpark? Yeah, so the, those price? units were in the in the low 40s. Uh, yeah, so. And they were they were nice for units too, are, you know. I was saying it's insane for that some. That sounds like a good real estate investment <laughs> with uh, a payback period of one year. So it's ballpark. Oh my gosh, yeah, no. It, it, and it, that's why I think it literally all comes down to the property. Because like, yeah. in, as much as it's like uh, such a good return, you really have to have that right property, you know, as far as like where you're allowed to do it. So if you have that, then it's a no brainer. Definitely put them on your property. I, I think I asked a variant of this question the last time uh, we had the chance to speak together, but it's clearly a big internet trend, right? We were talking before we started recording about YouTubers that are blowing up in the space just five years ago, you know, there are already YouTubers where 400,000 subscribers. And now these Airbnbs are just 95% occupancy. Where do you kind of see where we are on the demand curve for, or not the demand curve, the, the trench curve for this container home, sustainable living, small living space. Are we, you know, peaking or is it going to be like the beginning of a, like a super cycle where people in mass realize this is just an incredible way to spend a lot less money and enjoy the same quality of life. So where do you kind of put ourselves and where things are going as a trend? Yeah. I mean, um, I would say I've noticed, uh, there being more excitement around this kind of stuff even just from my circles, you know, like I feel like, you know, I've been doing this for about five years now. And just in the last year, like when I run into someone and they're like, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, we do container homes. Almost always they're like, oh my gosh, I've wanted a container home or, oh, that's so cool. I love watching, you know, the, the YouTube channels that show stuff like that. So it definitely, it definitely is a trend now, but I don't think it's stopping anytime soon. Um, that's not to say that there won't be a date that it does stop. Like I think like anything that will probably be the case. Um, but what I don't think is going to, what I think will even outlast the trend of containers is I think the demand for smaller living, you know, even now it's like, you can't even, you know, depends where you live, but in a lot of places you can't afford an entry level home, you know, like it literally starting price for single family home could be 500 grand. Um, and it, the numbers just don't make sense right now for some people. And if they had an alternative that they could live in a smaller house, um, man, it would be a total game changer. So I think the demand for smaller housing is only going to continue to increase with time. And I think local codes and, and building departments, zoning departments are just going to have to find a way that they can properly regulate and allow them. 
in order to benefit the people. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it, you're just hurting hurting those in your city at the end of the day. Right. I mean, America generally is five and a half million housing units short. And so if we were to get five and a half million units on the market tomorrow, we'd be at equilibrium. It's crazy. And I mean, over the next, you know, 10 years, if housing prices increase and more people and more people need homes to live in, it's just, it's a, um, a market demand that just makes sense. I really get point. People are going to want cheap homes because other, because otherwise they're not gonna have a place to live. Yeah. Um, so yeah you're i mean you're spot on especially like everyone's living longer so people are in homes longer i mean yeah you're right it, it just it, it's one of those industries that there is just not enough homes and it's not going to go away anytime super soon you know so, so yeah you and so that, that's one of the things that i'm um interested in generally is just this manufactured home concept of putting things together and and I like, why do you, are you betting on containers specifically? Because, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can think about it, right? Like you can, um, have a manufacturing plant that just at the end of the assembly line has a box together or, or something like that. Like the interesting thing that you're doing is you're taking something that has a function in another part of the world for shipping, and then you're turning it into something else. And so... <clears throat> why do you think that that's the right play versus um, any other manufactured home um, playbook? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, it's interesting. I would say I stumbled into containers more than anything. I don't think I was strategically thinking what would be the, like the most optimal, optimal type of housing. Um, for me, it was honestly like, it seemed like the easiest type of home to build. Um, that's why I think DIY container homes could totally be a popular thing as well. Um, because I was like, man, the infrastructure is already here. The skeleton is there. It's just a matter of building out the interior and, and the numbers on it just seem to make like common sense. Like, I'm like, man, this thing is solid steel. It's so durable, so strong, could be craned, moved, transported. And at the time, the cost on them was so cheap. I was like, I bet if you melted this thing down, it would be more in steel than what they're selling it for. You know I mean, like it just almost didn't make sense. Like to pay someone to build that, would have been four times as much. And so, um, you know, now container prices have gone up. Um, I still think they make sense, but I don't think they have to be the only way either. Like I definitely am always, as someone who's like creative and loving ideas, I'm always thinking of what alternatives are out there that maybe aren't containers. And so we just started launching a product um, for that very reason is we noticed, hey, containers make sense in a couple scenarios, if it's a 40 footer or a 20 footer, I think the price on the container and the cost to build it out, like those numbers make sense. If you get a 10 foot container, they're pretty expensive. And so like we had a product where we, we still even have a product, right? It's like our 10 foot office or our 10 foot yoga studio, um, that it's a high price per square foot. And so we have opted to develop another product for that smaller footprint it's metal fabricated. So it's basically a metal frame structure, metal siding on the exterior, might have similar like aesthetics to a container, but the cost on it's like probably 30% less. So for like a smaller 10 by eight space, it doesn't make sense as much to use a container. So this is a better option. And containers don't make sense, in my opinion, as much either if you're trying to have a big house. 
So if you want a 1500 square foot home, doing out of a container is probably going to be more expensive than if you just did a really cool home that was stick built. So I really think they make sense if it's 20 foot, 40 foot models. Those are standard. They're better price points on them. Um, but it's always interesting to see what other people are doing. And yeah, like I like thinking of other ideas as well. But I think for me, I'm more passionate about smaller housing than I am just about container housing. So anything that's in that niche is always exciting for me. Yeah, I like the way you phrase that. I mean, the focus here, what initially motivated you was not just smaller housing, but affordable housing, right? And then it's handy yeah. that smaller typically is more affordable. Uh, so, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want to ask you on too. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go ahead. Right. I was going to say early on, I think what I loved about the containers was like the trend factor is they just aesthetically were really cool. Like I just, I just personally love the industrial look. And so, um, I think that is a big reason why people go with the containers. Like even now there's other options that are more affordable that you could get. And I do think a lot of our clients, especially when you, when you're talking about like a container pool, um, it's really like 75% aesthetic. You're choosing to do that. Not so much because it was more affordable or something like that. That makes sense. What is, you can answer this in a couple of ways, or I'm going to you know use a couple of different adjectives here, but what is the most kind of exciting thing you've built or obscure thing you've built, like a feature request that is just really, really cool and or like a favorite kind of obscure addition besides just, you know, like a bed that maybe folds up and down so it doesn't take space. Like that's kind of standard, but what's something like obscure that someone asked for that y'all pulled off that's pretty, pretty cool? Yeah. I mean, so we just did one this summer that was, uh, so it was three containers that all kind of worked together. It was a tiny home, a cabana, and a container pool. And we had to do, so, so the cabana had a lot of unique features of things we hadn't done before. So it had like a glass roll-up uh, garage door, which was our first time installing one of those in one of the tiny homes, which was a nice feature. That was cool. It had a flip-out window. So the window flips out 90 degrees, and there was a bar that you could serve drinks to. But the, the most challenging part about it was they wanted a slide that went off the rooftop deck into the container pool. So that was our first time doing something like that. And that was, you know, it was a learning curve, but uh, it turned out really cool. Like I, it was definitely a wow factor. Is that something that's U-shaped? Like there's like, they're kind of making it a horseshoe and pools. On. Yeah, this one was uh, kind of similar to that. It was sort of L-shaped. So they did a, a pool, then it went cabana and then tiny home. So they were kind of lined up like that. Did you have to do dirt work for that? Yeah. Uh, for that tiny home. Are you guys doing a lot of dirt work? You know what? So we actually, we will honestly probably just more or less consult on it because we're here in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, we'll just recommend contacting a local contractor. We'll give them all like the specifications, like, Hey, the pool, once you fill it with water is going to weigh 35,000 pounds. Here's the, the dimensions of it. And then we leave it up to the contractor to figure out what's best for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I wake up tomorrow and I'm like, I want, I, I know I want a container home. What is the process with alternative living spaces um, that I would go through to a, a complete product? Yeah. So, I mean, I think step one would just be uh, figuring out what layout you'd be interested in. Uh, so we've developed kind of like our two main models. It's our alt 20 foot studio model. That's really good for like a, you know, a bachelor or maybe two people, but that's even pushing it a little bit. And then it's our, you know, we have an alt 30 foot and an alt 40 foot model. The 40 foot model is a one bedroom. So it's really comfortable if you have two people, you full bedroom, closet, bathroom, full kitchen and full living room. Um, and so I think it's just figuring out what space works for you. 
Uh, and then kind of the biggest challenges to being able to move forward with a tiny home or a container home is usually the topics of placement and financing. Uh, so basically being able to find a place where you can put it is really important. Uh, and so we offer container homes on wheels, which are basically like RV certified models. They get mounted to a trailer and that way you can put it anywhere an RV could go. So that definitely helps. Um, and then also with financing, you know, a lot of the clients we work with right now end up being cash buyers because they're investors and because there's just not a ton of financing options in the tidy home and container home space. Um, but we do work with some lenders too. So just kind of figuring out uh, how you get that finance. But um, yeah, I think once you select your design, find where you want to put it and make sure you have the funds, you're, you're in good shape. So kind of looking forward, what would you say some of your goals are, I guess, either personally or for the business, uh, you know, is it to scale and just go from building X homes per month or year, however, you know, to the, the numbers to 10X or is it jumping into kind of adjacent similar problems that you've developed expertise in? Yeah, I kind of like the latter. You know, we definitely are trying to always grow um, and feel like we've brought on the right people to kind of help us do that. But I am... The thing that I get most excited about is creating new products. That's actually like what gets me out of bed. Like I can wake up at 4.30 tomorrow. If I know when I wake up, I'm working on a new catalog for a new product. Like that's just exciting for me, right? Um, so for me, I'd love to be able to just continue to create unique and different products. And so like looking at 2022, we're launching like our modern uh, backyard shed series. Um, and those are all like a variety of smaller products that can go directly in your backyard. The, co the cost is going to be a lot more affordable than if it was a container. Um, and it's a space that you could use as a recording studio, um, an office space, a she shed. You know, someone comes to town, they just need a place to crash. It's a great space for that. So we're, we're launching that product. And then we also are, are, are creating an A-frame right now. So we want to get into a little bit like the A-frame space as well for like clamping. Um, we want to develop kits for container homes. Um, there's just a lot we want to do. We're working on a container home course. So you can do a DIY course on how to build a home. Um, so I just like that side of it, developing new products and trying to like market them and get them out, get them out to the market. So is the, does the shed increase your like addressable market to like places that, you know, their local laws don't let them put a 20 foot shipping container in their backyard. So this is a product for those people who just live in like a more standard kind of HOA annoying community. Yeah. Something awesome. You honestly, yeah, you nailed it on the head. We've, our biggest challenge with container homes is our ideal clientele is typically like they live in rural areas with low regulation. And unfortunately, like if I look like our Instagram account, for example, 90% of people that follow us are not in that category. And we have, you know, for everyone that goes to our website, it's probably 5% of the people visiting our website that can actually work with our product. So it definitely is a product that's more palatable just for like cities. Like we did a, a trade show here in Vegas a month ago and we had three of our sheds on display and it was great feedback. Like genuinely, like people were like, man, this would be great for my backyard right here in Vegas. And so that's definitely been the, the niche we've been going for. Well, that's exciting. What I was trying to say is just that I liked how well you know yourself around the products and like, you know, you know, that's what you want to do and, and that's what's going to get you up out of bed in the morning. And so I expect that alternative living spaces won't stop in their pursuit of uh, creating new products and, and doing really cool stuff in the world. Yeah, right on. Yeah, we're excited, man. Yeah, I feel like uh, the more the more stuff we can make, man, it'd be, it'd be great. It'd be fun. 
Yeah, I think from a from a naming foresight perspective, Bill did a good job with alternative living spaces. Not to oh, you got to hear this story. The, the, I don't know if I told you it last. Okay, this is the craziest story. There, I, there's a lot of stories like this, by the way, that I haven't shared. But um, I showed up to work one day. This is my old moving job, and uh, my manager uh, came up to me. He's like, "Hey, dude, I had a dream about you last night." And I'm like, "Oh, really? That's interesting." And he's like, yeah, in the dream, you weren't working here. You showed up and you were wearing a polo and it said alternative living spaces on it. And I was like, huh, that is so interesting. And uh, the name like super resonated. And I just thought, man, that's the name of the business. You know, so I don't know what the odds of that are or how that works, but it was really cool. We'll see. Uh, what other stories are like that? Oh, yeah. Really there's good. more. There, there's so the, I, I left this out when you guys had asked me, uh, uh, or you were asking me like how it started, and I and I kind of said, oh, this container. We, I went and bought it, and I put it in my dad's yard. I definitely fast forwarded that. So the night before I uh, I bought the container, um, I was visiting my parents, and my mom's never done this in my life, but was like, hey, I really felt like I'm supposed to give you this. And she gave me an envelope. And I noticed there was cash in it. And I'm like, I don't need your money. Like I'm working like three jobs. Like I have money, um, at least enough money, right? And she's like, no, I really feel like I was supposed to give you this. And so she gave me the envelope, had $500 in it. And that, you know, she was persistent. So like, okay. Um, and that next day when I was looking up uh, the container homes, um, I the container home that I found was listed for $39.50. Um, previous to that, I had $34.50. Uh, don't quote me on the exact dollar, but like thirty-four fifty, right? Um, and and that five hundred bucks was enough to get it. The funny thing is, when I went to go get the container, I tried to bargain the guy. I offered him thirty-six, and he wouldn't take it, so I left. And he actually called me back like two hours later and was like, "Hey, someone else is interested in buying it, um, but I like what you want to do with it, and so I'll sell it to you for the full price, but you have to come get it now." So the money my mom gave me that night before was enough to kind of basically get the unit and get it to the house. And then I had nothing left. <laughs> so that was wild. Did you, uh, that, that's a rabbit hole to go down to just going completely all in on this idea. Uh, but my question is, did you, were you kind of like, you know, buzzing around your house with your parents that you were looking at making this major purchase or is this just like a complete, not at all. Like, it's like, oh, well, now would be a good time. Yeah. Not at all. That's what's crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Yeah, not at all. I don't even, it wasn't even an idea. Like it may have been a concept in my head, but I had a lot of concepts. Like I wanted to start a, a gas company, like doing mobile fueling of gas, which would have been great up until like Tesla's and everything have come out. Um, and I wanted to do a dating app. So it wasn't anything at that point at all that I had said, I want to start a business building a container home. I actually was just looking on Craigslist the next day just out of curiosity for what containers cost. I hadn't even looked up what a container cost. And, uh, and yeah, it's weird, man. But yeah, sure enough, that container was there. And it's funny because I, I still look on Craigslist for good deals because I'm like, hey, if I, can, if I can find something for a good price and we can refurbish it, we do that sometimes. Um, and I have never found a deal like the first one, which is funny. <laughs> Wild. Crazy. Well, you did study theology, right? Yeah. Probably. Man, life's crazy like that sometimes. Yeah. It's wild. It's right. cool. How it be. Yeah, right? So, yeah, I, I, was, I was trying to think if there's anything else kind of interesting. There's been some, yeah, th there's other fun stories like that. We'll share maybe next next time. But, no, there's some cool stuff.
that's a tough thing uh you know our job as interviewers to find the stories so you can never just be like hey tell me a good story and someone's like uh you have to like it just comes up when you're telling you ask a question and then that reminds Dude, you of a story i can tell you another crazy one exactly. you don't have to keep it in the in the podcast this could just be for for fun for you guys so i was at a church we'll service see if we're allowed to keep story. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I was at a, a church service at, uh, at my home church and I was ready to go all in on the dating app. So I had thought about a dating app idea and I thought I really liked it and I thought it was unique, different. It's kind of a weird name. So looking back, I'm like, I've spiked it. That did take off, but the name was called you and two. And the idea was where you and two of your friends go and hang out with someone else and two of their friends. So like me and my two buddies would go hang out with you know, some girl and her two friends, we'd all go bowling. You know, I don't know. Um, so it's kind of like a group hangout kind of concept. And uh, I went to service that night and I, I honestly like just had a prayer of like, man, I'm ready to go all in on this thing. It's kind of like an all or nothing thing. Like, I don't know how you like partially go in on a dating app. Like it just seemed like it had to be kind of all or nothing. And so uh, my prayer was like, man, God, I need some clarity. Like, is this what I should be doing with my life or should I let this idea go. And sure enough, there was a guest speaker that night and uh, uh, he had an opportunity to just kind of pray for me. And when he was praying for me, uh, he literally was like, hey, you've been thinking about, and honestly, I believe this is like kind of a God thing, whatever, but like, he was like, hey, you've been thinking about a lot of ideas of what's next in your life. And he said, what God has for you, um, you haven't thought of yet. And, he, and then he began to say this, which is interesting. He said, God's going to bless you in the area of construction. He's going to give you a unique idea. True story. Like, I actually have this whole thing written out. I could ought to find it at some point. But um, I ended up, my buddy worked in the media department. So he recorded the whole thing. I hand wrote it out. I was like, this is crazy. But, uh, but I never had any interest in being in construction. Like, that wasn't something I thought that I would ever do. And so, uh, but yeah, he, he said, you know, He's going to give you a unique idea. You're going to create offices, things like that. But to be honest, um, I didn't buy a container until six months after that. So I didn't even know what that would mean or what that, or who knows what the future held for me. But like, I just remember thinking, uh, wow, that was really interesting. And it, for me, it meant I'm not going to do the dating app right now, you know, and, and who knows what's next. But that was a, that was a cool one. That's awesome. No, that's awesome. I, I think that that's super interesting. I can't wait to hear what happens the next time. It's like, well, I and then this happened. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure something's coming. Yeah, next, we'll you know? see. Right. I feel like the T. Well, I guess I might let the cat out of the bag, but the TV show opportunity, I think, is one of those things that. Really? Yeah, that, you know, we got an opportunity. We just filmed a pilot episode for a TV show, and. Um, I was talking to a family friend that they have a TV show in Canada. It was the number one uh, TV show on HGTV. It's called Cabin Kings. Um, and I know when they got picked up, they had to invest like $80,000 into creating the pilot episode that then got pitched to the networks. Um, and it's been cool, but like this production company just kind of believes in our concept and the stuff we're doing and thought it would be really cool for a TV show. And they ended up uh, creating a sizzle. You know, we didn't pay anything for that. They pitched it to all the different networks. Netflix wasn't interested. CNBC was interested, but they wanted it from more of like a business perspective. And if I'm honest, like I'm no, you know, Shark Tank. Like I, I love all that stuff, but I'm still so young. So I'm like, I don't know how great I'd be on talking through all the business side of everything. But uh, then uh, they pitched it to another big network that actually picked it up. 
And then they funded $200,000 to make this first pilot episode, you know? So it's, um, yeah, that was a really cool opportunity. And it's still, uh, they just finished editing the pilot episode, uh, the first revision. And so hopefully in a few months it'll be out. Super exciting stuff. Can't wait to see you on the big screen. Oh, thanks, man. I'm excited for it. It's fun to see. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's a good transition to the bonus segment. Some uh, some quicker questions that aren't necessarily tied to anything specifically. Uh, you gave a few examples of some non-container type construction projects you might take on. Uh, but at the moment... Could be an A-frame, you know, nothing wrong with repeating one of your earlier answers. What is your favorite non-container alternative living space at the moment? Yeah, so in the in the show we did recently, the trade show, we had three units set up. And one of them was an office space that we did that I really liked. Just because I think, I think about myself uh, in my home here in Vegas. I can't put a container in my backyard. Um, but I could absolutely put one of these modern sheds in my backyard. And the aesthetic of it, one of our, our lead guys, Cameron, is the guy that like designed it all. Him and his wife like really got creative on the inside. And it just was such a cool aesthetic to it with the lighting. And we did a, you know, really cool kind of black accent wall with like a batten board type finish on it. So, um, man, I'd say that is a product I'm super excited about. And I feel is something that like my friends could use. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure if my friends see this, they're going to be like, oh, dude, I need that in my backyard so I can edit videos in there or, you know, things like that. So that's cool. What is the, the material? Is this just a wooden structure? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, basically like a prefab metal structure. So it's like uh, a lighter gauge metal that the exterior is built from. So it's framed out in metal framing. And then there's a metal skin, you know, skin, which is really just a metal four by eight paneling that goes on the exterior. Um, and then the inside is just finished out like a home. So we'll usually use spray foam or bat foam for insulation. And then we'll do like a cool, unique type of interior finish. So like the ones at the show, we did a lot of shiplap, uh, wood beams on the inside, really fun kind of creative lighting. What I like about them is it's such a small space that like, maybe you couldn't have a 10,000 square foot home. That's really fancy, but you could have like a hundred square foot, super dope, you know, little office in your backyard. I feel like it's it's fun in that sense. So is it the 10 by 10? Is that the square footage? Yeah, so we have a few sizes. So we have 8 by 10. Uh, then we have 8 by 12. And then we're doing one for a client from the show. She wanted one in her backyard as like a, kind of like a guest room, so to speak. So it's going to be 10 by 15. So that's here locally. So it's a little easier to do a bigger one. Um, but we're still figuring out exactly what those sizes will be. Um. So I saw on your Instagram that your work-life balance is about to change a little bit. That's right. Um, how how are you feeling about that? Are you excited? Oh, man. How many how many months? Uh... Yeah, so my wife is, uh, she just hit the third trimester. So the baby is okay, due wow. in about seven weeks. Uh, so we're going to have a boy. So I'm super stoked for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I know that's going to be, you know, I don't know. I, I I just know that's such a life-changing moment. Like when you have that kid and you hold your ba the baby and you're like, oh my gosh, how did this even happen? Um, so yeah, definitely my wife has already kind of prefaced with like, hey, you have to take work off. Like let's block out, you know, two weeks where you can't go into the office. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do my best. I know. So I'm, I'm really excited <laughs> for it though, man. I'm stoked. You won't, you won't want to leave. Oh my gosh. Sure. Yeah. 
I know I loved playing sports growing up. So I'm like trying to, man, he's going to be a, I don't know. He could be whatever he's good at. Right. So I'm going to try to have him play some sports, get into soccer. But, uh, if he likes the arts, man, we'll do music. That's cool. I think swimming and golf. Uh, I kind of wish that my parents had, had put me into swimming and golf when I was like, because like, I think that swimming really develops ath- like an athlete. And then That's from there, so it, when you do that when you're little, you can just kind of expand into whatever. I like that. What, Lewis? Swimming is so hard. This one was this one I said. Such a good workout. It is such a good workout. Mm-hmm. And then golf. I mean, Man. I, I'm just so I'm just so bad at golf that I just wish that somebody had had made me do it a lot when I was little. Right. That definitely is one of those skill sets that like will pay off for you when you're older. Like I have all my friends love 100%. golf. So like, oh, let's go golf. And I'm like, dude, I'm terrible. So that's real. Are you gonna build anything for for the baby room? Are you gonna build a crib or? Like a man, yeah. I probably, I probably got some uh, idea for it. I got to That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna do. Uh, I think we came up with a theme. It'd be like a jungle theme. So we got this really okay. cute stuffed lion that my mom got us, and I'm like, that's the theme. We're gonna go off of that. So we'll do like a burnt orange accent wall, and probably do some cool little, you know, wood something. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, definitely will be a a little job to get done here in the next month or so. Awesome. Well. Super excited for you, Tony. Alternative Living Spaces is doing really amazing things based on a real problem in the world, which is affordable housing. People deserve to live somewhere that they love. And, um, you know, I think having you at the helm of that company is is really exciting for uh, for the future of yourself and the future of housing. And so we really appreciate you coming on. And uh, if anybody who watched this is interested in you and learning more about your uh your company and who you are, where should we send them to find you? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you for just having me on. It's, it's, it's always fun talking with you guys. And uh, our website is just alternativelivingspaces.com. Uh, and you can also just follow us on social media at the same, same address, uh, Alternative Living Spaces. Thank you so much, Tony. Amazing. Thank you very much, Tony. Yeah, thank you guys. And that wraps up our interview with Anthony Lopez, another really, really interesting conversation around a topic that I am super interested in. Um, My three quick takeaways are, one, the franchise opportunity for taking uh, gems that are in containers, dropping it somewhere, and then renting it out to um, personal trainers is a huge opportunity. Somebody should do that that's listening to this episode. Number two. Um, what's supposed to happen will happen. If you listen to the episode, there are a lot of moments in Tony's story where, um, you know, he had different ideas, he was pursuing different things and, um, he just kept having the right thing fall into his lap at the right time. And I think that that's true for everybody. Um, and number three is just the relative importance of affordable housing and, you know, how important housing is to the development of people and how that's often very underlooked. Um, I think that people that are working to solve this problem, like Tony, are, are doing the Lord's work. It's very important, and um, we should emphasize it and continue to do more of it. Thank you. Kyle, first takeaway, kind of jumping off what you just said there about housing, uh, specifically how Tony was just like, this does not make sense that I'm working all these jobs, working this hard, and this extremely high fraction of my income is going towards a living space uh, when my father built a treehouse for like a thousand dollars and like it's completely livable. So just the 
lesson of seeing something that doesn't quite make sense and then exploring good enough to actually find an answer that does make a little bit more sense. Not just like, you know, your gut telling you something's off and then being like, you know, not, not trusting your gut. We've discussed the idea of learning to listen to yourself and trusting yourself in a lot of episodes. Uh, really great conversation more in depth on that with Tyler McConnell, which was one to two episodes back. If that piques your interest, second takeaway from me would be again, something that comes up a lot, uh, which is as a CEO slash, you know, person of management in a company, getting rid of all the stuff that doesn't energize you and taking that off your plate and putting that on other people's plates as much as possible. So you can be the best leader possible. Uh, you know, once we started Tony talking about new product lines, new ideas, new possibilities, that's where he lit up and that's what he wants to spend his time doing. Whereas, you know, the day-to-day kind of detail work and, you know, running your business versus working on the business, he's really excited by the latter, which, you know, it's good that he's slowly moving in that direction. Third takeaway from me is about, uh, like, I, w- I wrote down the word literacy. I'll come back to that in a half second. But we asked Tony in this interview and then in a previous conversation about, you know, what DIY projects would he recommend? How handsy is he? Is he, what are some things he'd built in the past before taking on this project? And his answer was effectively nothing. He's like, this is pretty much like the extent of my construction experience. He did not have like any prior knowledge in, besides, you know, maybe like assembling some furniture, which is just putting screws and holes and following assembly instructions, uh, like any of this experience. So you don't need to know the thing to start the thing. If you can read, if you're literate, right, you can use the internet and use the library to figure out the parts that you don't know how to do, or just get people who do know how to do them to help you. So don't let not knowing how be a barrier to try. That's it for this episode. We have tons of other episodes equally awesome to this one. Uh, I'd encourage you to listen to those. If you want to share your support for myself and Kyle doing this podcast, we really, really enjoy hearing from you, whether that's a text, an email, a mention on social media, that could be Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever. You could leave a rating or review on iTunes, or you could just help us boost our numbers, make the number go up by clicking another episode of this week that appeals to you, taking a listen. That's all we have to say for this week. We'll be back in roughly one week. We, we like the term roughly these days uh, with another episode. See you then. Bye-bye.